So we have this teaching dependent arising, the formula that occurs with some variations in many contexts. So there's an underlying principle behind it, which is called Itapachayata, uh, that is um, dependent, or things exist because of that. It's called conditionality. So this means nothing really exists independently. Uh, things don't exist independently. There's no, uh, for example, there's no self, because nothing, including everything we take ourselves to be, actually comes into being dependent upon other factors. Nothing is innately itself. It's always made itself through a combination of other factors. You take the example of a, you know, um, physical body requires parents, requires food, requires air, requires water. A very simple, obvious example. Uh, It seems to exist independently because that's the way we hold it, we review it. And yet, uh, if you take away air from the body, it, its vitality ceases. Yeah. And if we go to the visual experience of the body, say we look at a body, we can see what do we see? We see uh, colours changing, and we imagine. If you look at the front of a person, you imagine the back. You don't actually see it. Yeah. So, but you hold a, you hold a mental inference that holds a kind of substantial three-dimensional reality which you never actually experience. You experience ranges of, of realities. That, so that's the reality is conditionally arisen through mental action dependent upon other sensory data. This is a kind of a process of very radical analysis and inquiry in which the principle is don't add anything that's not actually speaking for itself. So if I see the front of you, I don't add the impression of the back of you. Because <laughs> you know, that's, at this moment, that's an inference. Right? So we're looking at actual actuality as it's happening to us. This means, of course, things like tomorrow and yesterday are what? nothing more than memories and expectations and those can be wonderful or miserable depending on which particular series of data your your attention focuses upon but primarily what it will focus upon are those aspects that have the strongest feeling to them strongest impact strongly the strongest impression that's what your attention will focus on Neutralities. So, if you review your life, you might recognize some happy times, some poignant times, some miserable times, and most of it's gone. No, most of it you can't, it's not there anymore. Only a few specks <laughs> which represent the trajectory of a wave of what contact impressions carry the most weight. So then, but then we say, yes, I've been alive for 50 years, 40 years, 60 years, 20 years. 
I've got a birth certificate. So it says, that's because you're looking at a birth certificate. <laughs> you take that away. Uh, can you say when you were born? Yeah. When you came out of the womb, you didn't know what day it was. See, so all these, this is what's meant by, if this, if, with, your, with that being present, this arises. Yeah. And the uh, most significant features of that are called contact, which you'll notice, feeling, which you'll also see in, in that list of, of factors. So if we look, example, at one of the reasons why, we've got example number two. This is uh, quite a renowned sutta, Kachana Gotha Sutta, Samyutanikaya 12.15. This is some understanding why did the Buddha teach this dependent arising. So, basic principle of conditionality is a pachyata, the principle of dhammas, that is moments that arise into experience, these are dhammas, moments that arise into experience. Uh, and then it says actually, there's even a, you can actually follow a, a graduated sequence of how this process happens. And this is this particular text with a uh, theme we're studying dependent arising, how it's not just the basic factor of arising, but the details of how it arises, how things take form with the sense if if you remove certain conditions the thing comes apart and what comes apart is that which is fabricated, conditioned therefore what's revealed is unconditioned, free, liberated peaceful, joyful and so forth so that's that's the the um, rationale behind this teaching to notice the particular factors that give rise to stress, suffering, and so forth, and which, and the fact that it's conditionally arising depend upon certain key factors. What factors can be removed to prevent this or to release this tangled mess, and realise something untangled and clean and free. Yeah. And there was also a series of teachings on the conditions that support that, that process of release. But here we get the, the, the kind of very brief summary of um, why the Buddha taught it. This world, Kachana, for the most part, depends upon a duality on the notion of existence, Bhava, and the notion of non-existence, vibhava. So notion of existence means things are permanent, things are solid, everything's real and lasts, continues. And so there's such a thing as past, present and future, and uh, we're all in that. You know, everything's moving along in that time trajectory. Notion of non-existence, vibhava, means it's all kind of an illusion. Uh, there's nothing really here, it's all just empty, nothing going on at all. And, um, you know, or certain bits don't exist. 
So there's kind of partial non-existence. Like we can say that um, order doesn't exist, or God doesn't exist, or um, a lot of our experience as human beings, we deny that the planet existed as a living creature. And that means we've, because of that nihilism, then there's been immoral actions towards other creatures and the planet in general. So the, the nihilistic view tends to negate morality and ethical concern. And the extent to which you say things don't exist, that increases your um, potential for uh, negligence and uh, loss of ethical concern. Okay, so you might say, well, you know, partial non-existence. Oysters are just shellfish, um, so it doesn't matter what you do to them because they're food, you can eat them. So that means you deny the existence of the oyster as a sentient creature. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the intensive farming of creatures only sees them existing as meat, not as sentient beings. So you get this kind of relative non-existence. And it's going to amount to the extreme non-existence, which is tends to suicidal depression. I don't wish to exist. Um, I can negate myself completely. So this partial non-existence when we, towards ourselves is to do with suppression, um, substance abuse, where you knock, your, knock, knock, knock yourself out or aspects of yourself out. Mm. And the existence things where you're promoting aspects of yourself, your body, your mind, your psychology, your attitudes, your doctrines, as being permanent, lasting, and ultimately true. And there's this kind of swinging between these polarities. And uh, the rising of the world. Now, the origin of the world... The world in, in Buddhist analysis um, refers to something far more embracing than planet Earth. It, it means the whole, your world, you could say, or the cosmos, everything that can be known, that you feel yourself dwelling in. Uh, so you have your social world, uh, you have the world of your ideals, the world of your a family world um, and world of yourself you know I, these are the features of my world I enjoy walking in nature listening to music um, certain friends that's my world and that arises and these are all dhammas momentary arisings we imagine they exist permanently yeah but if you look at it actually radically, actually in the present moment, none of these exist permanently. So yes, I do have a partner. Well, not now you don't. Because <laughs> he or she is in somewhere else. You know? So at this very moment, that's being held as a reality. But if you don't hold it, it's a moment of rising of memory, poignancy, regret, affection, whatever. Right. Right. So that momentary arising. If you look at that momentary arising, affection or poignancy or whatever, now, if it were possible, 
to remove the impression of your partner or whatever from that poignant moment the poignancy is not the person is it it's something we make out of the person right now if we could now we recognize the feeling I have about the person the emotional context the emotional atmosphere is not the person it's the feeling I have about them now if that feeling were not there that part wouldn't be a part it'd just be somebody right and if that person were right, so then that, then that reality would, would cease it's dependent arisen upon the coming together of a mental impression and certain uh, emotions and, and um, memories so, who is that? but it does arise it arises dependent upon this coming together of certain factors and it could be most of the day they're not there at all you know, looking at the trees you're walking around other things are happening this person's not there you sit down in the evening go quiet something pops up what is it that, what is it that brings them to mind other factors uh, one is not occupied with something else in the present so that factor disappears and maybe there's a it's dinner time or something you normally have dinner with them or you get that memory comes up because you associate that person with that particular social occasion and so if you look radically and actually you see the world arises dependent upon interest uh, memory attention certain um, perceptions so you can't say it doesn't arise it does arise now you can't say well that's just a, a complete fantasy it's not, not, it doesn't exist at all um, because it does happen and we can recognise perhaps that impression of the person uh, might have changed over the years probably in the course of a day it changes from something you kind of feel familiar with, comfortable with to moments of irritation, to moments of frustration to moments of release, to moments of joy the, the profile shifts at certain themes certain themes so who, who is that? nothing? something? the mind is asked not to form a conclusion either existing or not existing but notice things do arise dependent, dependently arise But as we notice that memory or that perception of the person can disappear because you're occupied with something else, then you can't say that it's a permanent, they're a permanent condition. So what you have is a flux of impermanent conditions bound together by other impermanent conditions. So, for example, if you have a partner and then you have a divorce, the condition of affection and understanding disappeared. And what's remained replaced by something else. So suddenly that whole emotional context shifts. And who are they then? Irritating, disappointing, betrayed, da-da-da-da-da. 
something else characterizes. Meanwhile, of course, their physical appearance is changing, and yours is too. So <laughs> we're looking at something that's very, very uh, potent and, and, and fluid. And yet, the tremendous drive to nail things down, to be certain and fixed and absolute. So, as he said, this um, world for China is for the most part shackled by engagement, clinging, and adherence. There is this instinctive drive to get things nailed down, fixed, certain, plan the future, get everything right, be right, be clear, be accomplished, be effective, that better nail it, and if it deviates a bit, disappointed, annoyed. Dukkha. So, dukkha in the beginning, I want things to be clear, they're not. Dukkha in the middle, I'm having to hold it together to keep it clear. Dukkha in the end is falling apart. <laughs> Try another one. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean it's necessarily absolutely miserable. It just means it's not, it's, because it's a Nietzsche, impermanent and relative, it means it never. <laughs> None of these ever achieve a final resolute state where they stand up with it on their own. Everything is just kind of tumbling and, we, and it, it tumbles on to the next presentation without having come to a final stable reality that stands up without me holding it or something in me holding it. This is the shackling in engagement and what is one is engaged with is a process that never achieves the resolution that it aims for. This can be frustrating and uh, disappointing. Mm. You know, I've heard accomplished musicians who seem to have achieved mastery in musicianship you know, saying, I never really, really hit the, the really got the music, I could really sense this thing I wanted to transmit, I never quite got it right after 60 years never quite, the final really the consummate piece never quite happened because of course the more profound one's quest for perfection is the less likely you are to achieve it And yet, the hunger goes on. This is tanha, craving for certainty. It's sometimes referred to as craving for existence. Bhava tanha. Let things be solid, let things be lasting, let things finally come into a stable state of being that will last. And things are constantly shifting and changing. Partly because everything in us is shifting and changing. So the thing I was satisfied with yesterday, suddenly I noticed the flaws, it could have been better. My standards go up. So this is this shackling or engagement. The one with right view does not become engaged and clean through an engagement clinging mental standpoint 
taking a mental position, psychological position, philosophical position, religious position, adherence, dogmatic, tenacious, this has got to be this way, underlying tendency, an unconscious reflex to, to drive towards perfection, for example, um, that we might not recognize that, drive towards finality, to drive towards security, underlying tendencies. So one with right view, right view is this field awareness mentioned. Conventionally speaking, we have a point awareness from this point to that point. We have point intention, this point to that point. We read this word and that word. Yeah. You can't read a page without doing that. You just get the whole field of the page. You can't read the words, you just get white with black marks on it. Yeah. So, so then if you take one letter, that doesn't do it. So you go from one letter to the next, the word clumps and so forth. So you've got to have this point of tension. And that point of tension is very much associated with the sensory world. Sights, sounds, touches, fragrances, um, flavors, ideas, concepts. This point to that point, this image to that image, this sound to that silence, this sound links to that, this word links to that, point to point to point. This is point attention. Point attention touches dhammas momentarily and moves on to the next. If you have just even very simply speaking, if your eyes open, it's quite difficult to sustain awareness of the whole visual field without your eyes really wanting to focus on a particular point. Anything. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, but to say that that is a mental urge. And what does it point towards that which we find distinctive in some respect? Interesting new uh, a problem, stain, a uh, beautiful picture, something or the other. And you focus on that particular object, you notice it's only sustained by your eyes constantly flickering on it. Your eyes have got to keep flickering, very subtly flickering. You can try it sometime, just look at your head and you'll see your eyes just shift from finger to palm. Just constantly tracing. Without the tracing, you don't get the picture. Without the movement, you don't get the sense of something solid. And yet, if, if Solidity depends upon movement. There's a contradiction, <coughs> isn't it? If I only create solidity through the eye jumping around and, re- and the mind saying, "Oh, that's that. Go there. Look at that. <coughs> look about that." If all that sense of solidity depends upon action, the thing is not doesn't reveal itself as solid, does it? It's only made solid by our action. Uh, an action of attention. So, 
good by solidity. <laughs> so right view presents this sense of the field, of uh, field view. Now, one of the primary reasons for that is because when there is that field view, we do notice how we're drawn one way or another, how we blank out. Um, we kind of don't give attention or we withdraw attention or we blank out or we get highly <coughs> focused on certain qualities. And then the quality of intention becomes more apparent. Searching for stimulation. You know. This is where the Buddha applies, says you have to make an effort to establish right view. And the principle of right view is establish attention based on ethical clarity. So we're in this fluctuating world where our functioning experience depends upon us holding relative, relative solidities. <laughs> They're not actually solid, but definitely have the potency to bring around effects. So, for example, right view, there is the result of good and bad actions. There are no good and bad things, but there are good and bad actions. And with certain proclivities, tendencies, energies, directives, intentions, and so forth, placed into that field of, of dhammas will generate violent actions, and line up uh, things we detest or object to, and then justify action. And so, of course, the sense is that to return to the potency we have, there is in this mind to turn towards dhammas that are conducive to one's welfare and the welfare of others. Dhammas based upon benevolence. And benevolence and dhammas based upon awareness of the mutuality of our experience. That is, since I'm not an independent entity, to put it very simply, I'm not an independent, I'm a dependently arising entity, therefore I, my intentions have to spread over the whole field of my awareness, other people, the planet, everything, you know, rather than just the me bit. So that, that sense of a spreading field of ethical concern and uh, non-violence, non-cruelty, non-abusiveness, non-blanking out the realities of sentiency with all that that pertains. Mm. There is mother, there is father. We, we originated. Uh, mm. We carry a certain mm. transmission, an inheritance, that we didn't create for ourselves. We're not self-generated. You know, we depend upon environmental factors to keep us alive. Therefore, we should have the same sense of ethical concern for those environmental factors and their source. This is fundamental you know, Buddhist environmentalism. But it's total environmentalism 
meaning it's not just the biosphere, it means the psychosphere too. Those who benefited us, we remember them. Those who are in pain and suffering, we have concern for them. Because we don't, we don't exist independent of other creatures and other forces. Um, so it's against this moral nihilism and this egocentric view that the Buddha is teaching. So this one does not take a stand about myself. So we're neither denying the experience of selfhood, we definitely experience some sense of being something, but we're not finalizing saying, I am definitely this and only this. This is what I am. I'm a nationalist, libertarian, eco-friendly, whatever, you know, British, gender, so forth. Or, you know, these are all factors. doesn't take a standpoint on everything has to conform to my view, or what I like, what I approve of. Right? Not, having, not everything I experience has to please me, be comfortable or convenient for me. <clears throat> I don't have to put that pressure on the, on the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this uh, uh, means is, you know, learning how to uh, draw your attention back to qualities of benevolence, harmlessness, steadiness that you uh, can dependently arise, dependent upon withdrawn from unskillful factors. So if there is a withdrawal from brutality, domination, exploitation, uh, withdrawal from callousness and insensitivity, withdrawal from gratification, and then withdrawal from those heart is liberated from those effects and it expands by itself into something tender, concerned and fearless. That's, that's the kind of program. And sometimes, you know, this is seen as a negative program because it's all about what shouldn't, we shouldn't do. But that's, there's something true about that. You stop doing what you shouldn't do, or what shouldn't, what is, what is illusory. The real speaks for itself. We don't have to create the real. It speaks for itself. If you remove the pressures and distortions and blind spots in the heart, truthfulness, honesty, clarity, joyfulness happens by itself. We don't have to kind of crank it out. So the removal of wrong view, establishing a right view, uh, you know, establishing that sense of ethical clarity and concern, removing those hindrances or that cause bitterness or aversion, and see what that acts as the foundation. And then 
what is being presented here is some of these um, unwholesome tendencies are uh, tenacious because of establishing the sense of an independent self self-obsession or of denying the existence of a world it's all just an illusion so who cares yeah. or affirming a world this is the world as I see it it's my world, that's the reality nothing but that so this dogmatism uh, leads to this inability to uh, effectively and peace serenely cooperate in the field of dumbness that arise and of course as they arise they also pass the ability to allow them to pass pleasant experience of the past to pass our life force itself to pass you may not wish it to but it does in the passing dumbness when dumbness cease or the memory passes what's there we don't know quite what will happen when this body no longer functions, but we can notice, for example, what happens when a word or an impression or a memory fades. If that's understood to be the nature of it, not just understood intellectually, but experienced, there's a peacefulness. origination traces a line whereby through not apprehending that through not tuning into that nature of arising and passing through either resisting the arising or lamenting that something doesn't arise or resisting the passing or lamenting the passing or craving the passing <laughs> through not tuning into that this is called ignorance or ignoring, or not being in touch. Interesting word, avijja. Vijja translated as clarity, but it also comes from the fundamental root vidya. Vidya is about a kind of a feeling, feeling knowing. Yeah. Vidya. In the Indian Vedic, Vedic, for example, the Vedas, yeah. That word Veda, you've heard of the four Vedas, which are the foundation for Indian spirituality. (coughs) Vedas means something like the the knowledge or the word, in that big capital W sense, the word, the knowledge, and it refers to that which is felt. Vedana means that which allows you to know something. Vedana is translated as feeling, pleasant or painful. But it's the primary way in which you know something exists, something happens, there's a felt, it happened, and then it stopped happening. Right? So that experience of something's happening, and then it stops happening, 
that's called that's vidya so that's where the word vedas means that which is occurring no. and it's known and it's felt and uh, avijja means you didn't get it you didn't feel it, you didn't know it you may have got the idea of impermanence you weren't actually experiencing it you experience it through feeling it feeling things flow feeling things change something exists, comes into existence and then it passes and that can be known, that's the basis of knowledge not concept but direct experience that which touches causes energy to shift that's the basis of how the what experience is formulated first of all something happens how do you know it happens? because a little light went off energy suddenly changed pricked up stimulated happening might have been a thought it might have been a sight it might have been a sensation could have been a memory something shifts that's called vidya knowing it, feeling it not feeling it means nothing happened you didn't get it you were out of touch out of touch with the fluency and the uh, the field you know, out of touch state with how potent, flexible, fluid it is right? this is the basis right, which um, things start getting activated there's a reaching in there's a uh, things start getting formulated that's that, that's that, that's that that formulation Sankara is the formulator now when you get an idea for example you see something oh that's that I could see yeah, that yeah. sort of I've been um, uh, noticing something in the monastery just kind of half noticing it you know that little piece of, of uh, concrete you walk past every day and it's got a pit in it with which every now and then we rake the leaves out of this little pit and sweep it up then one day I walked past and thought fill the pit with concrete <laughs> therefore you won't have to do that three times a week <laughs> it's only like you know it's not very really deep it's only hands depth deep it's not a big job but that moment you suddenly bing if something formulates that means that therefore do this right? and you can feel your mind go boop, 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 add it all up and then program get on with it right? that's formulation that's sankara you see uh, other times you see something but you don't see it you see it but you, are only, you don't get it nothing gets activated yeah. Yeah. you see somebody who's kind of looking a bit Mm-hmm. Hey, she's sick. <laughs> Otherwise, you, or sometimes you, you just don't notice it. 
So you see it, but you don't see it. There's a lot of that going on. We don't formulate. How these things don't really come into existence. We're sort of like, we're not really in it. We're not formulating it. The other extreme is when you over-formulate. This means that, therefore I've got to do this. No, you, you wait, no, that's an interpretation. So you can see this formulation experience, Sankara. And uh, it moves towards making things definite, final, certain, conceivable. We can act upon it. This is this, this is it, therefore I can act. Yeah. I see that, and that I see the, the flour, the sugar, the egg, cake. I can act. Somebody else comes in the kitchen, they see the table, the spoon, nothing happens. Somebody else comes, first person comes to the kitchen, they see the flour, the sugar, the egg, cake. And comes else comes in, they see the sink, the taps, the table, the what? I don't see a cake. <laughs> what cake? And we act. Right? And we become the actor. A lot of our life is about becoming the actor. There's something kind of uh, interesting about that word, isn't it? Because who all knows the actors are fake. They're just acting. We're actor in a, in, a, in a play of many, many acts. We become the cook, or the designer, or the cleaner, or the driver, or the comforter, or the da da da, you know? Not exactly fact, fake, but just their personae that, that get adopted. And something in us craves that. Because otherwise we feel, uh, you know, do here. Well, his understanding is in turning that formulation, just, well, what you can do here is attend to how you're feeling. Attend to the feelings that arise, attend to the energies that are present. Attend to the field of dumbness that you're experiencing. Stabilize. Look for ethical clarity. Stabilize, recognize things change. What particular intentions arise? So there's some sense of non-compulsive action. And also the ability to complete an action and let it pass. To not have to be the same actor who goes to bed still cooking. And goes to wakes up in the morning already planning. <laughs> and takes a shower thinking about what they're going to do tomorrow. <laughs> Just be able to take a shower. <laughs> be the showered upon. Yeah. Instead of carrying this uh, this permanent person, this is what we call Baba, becoming. We become the organizer, the cook, the mother. That's a permanent entity. And within that, we know what to do. And it's a big challenge, certainly a psychological challenge, to not know what to do. But you can know 
that experience, that you can feel it. And that's the, that's the change over from knowing what to be and what to do, which is always a kind of an act of some kind. It requires action, never achieves fruition and fulfillment, always thinks of the next thing it could do. So it goes towards, that's the formulations that tend towards dukkha. Yeah. And the other way we can turn the same car is, how does it feel now? Wide in the field. Take a few breaths, use your body. Find the balance. Calming anxiety. Work with the negativities. Steady the impulsiveness. You can feel these energies bobbling around. Now what's necessary? What's suitable? This is skillful formulation. But whatever is formulated, Sankara activated, um, <clears throat> this becomes the stab- ground, ground, the foundation for the establishment of consciousness. We'll return to these terms probably many times. Consciousness is a particularly slippery term because of the range of uses that um, that word, the English word, covers a range of, of uses and uh, reference points. I suggest one of the reference points that it covers or attempts to cover is something called chitta, which is heart or awareness, these are, these are other terms. The fundamental sense of receptivity that which gets activated. Um, but in Buddha's, Buddhist, well, it's Pali Buddhism's language, because of course it does change in various um, forms, you know, in various traditions and lineages. Consciousness here refers specifically to the drip feed of phenomena. That is, there are sights arising, popping in. There are sounds arising, popping in. There are thoughts popping in. It's this drip, 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 drip of data. And consciousness is the channel, or you could say consciousness is the drip of these phenomena. Momentary drip, drip, drip. The Buddha gave the example, and one of his more poignant and stirring, is not or short of point and stirring um, metaphors, but this one says, well, imagine you know, take someone and you shoot him with a hundred arrows in the morning, and you shoot him with a hundred arrows in the afternoon, and in the evening, you shoot him with a hundred arrows. That's consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if that stopped? <laughs> You think, only a hundred? Sight, sound, touch. Mm. Wouldn't it be nice if that stopped? So we have this expression, the stopping of consciousness, which in some context sounds really very nihilistic and and, uh, undesirable. What is stopping the drip, 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 the buzz, buzz, tap, tap, nudging, poking, stuff. What happens to the chitta, 
to awareness when consciousness slows down chitta opens feels free feels released Mm -hmm. so so one of the suttas it says very simply consciousness manifests there is dukkha with the stopping of of consciousness there is a stopping of dukkha Mm. now this is bad news if we feel that consciousness is what we are (laughs) and all that we are so you have to be quite um, clear about what is being referred to this feed of phenomena and the effect of it which most I'm sure most of us never very rarely if at all maybe sometimes had a moment when it wasn't this trip 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 it wasn't a sight it was a memory or a thought but just notice that say if you're in terms of your meditation time when a memory arises and then it fades part of the thought pops up and then you don't follow it and it fades Sense of something else is there. Listening, openness, listening, silence, space. And these become more and more apparent, more and more valued through the direct vidya, direct apprehension of, of actuality. What sounds chilling in terms of logic is actually beautiful in terms of experience. <laughs> 